a great week to be a storm sewer, sump pump, maybe a waterfall. This is way over our heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, how you doing? I think you nailed it, Jim. I think you nailed it. I think you're right. If, I'm getting ready to go swimming here. If you here, convey so. water, this is your week. This is your week. If you convey water, this is definitely your week. Well, we're in South Minneapolis at Town Hall, and we're talking about what is going to be, and this may be an understatement, a very active weather week ahead. And starting with tomorrow, yeah. Monday, the 9th of September, uh, Kenny, we're going to start seeing potentially some severe weather and yeah, it's a busy wet week. weather. Yeah, it's a busy week. So just kind of in a nutshell so we can get onto some of the other topics before we go too in-depth here, we're looking at... Uh, we're looking at thunderstorms on Monday and Monday night. Some of those are going to be severe, and we're going to see heavy rain. And this will be the first. So first of really three or four heavy rain events over the next week. And so we'll just have to be careful because there's a lot of water coming. Even if the, even if the weather models have over-forecast by 50%, we're still going to see two to three inches of rain across, wow. <laughs> across the area. So oh, my could, goodness. Yeah, quite a lot, quite a lot coming. Now, in terms of the severe threat tomorrow, Monday the 9th, is that going to be primarily to the south of the Twin Cities, southern Minnesota? Where, where will that be? It kind of depends on who you ask. Okay. I, I'm not going to commit to just limiting it to southern Minnesota. Okay. It's, a, it's a far southern Minnesota anyway. It's a, it's a pretty explosive scenario. And the real question is how much warm and humid air gets into, say, the Twin Cities and uh, Redwood Falls and St. Cloud. We know that it'll be warmer and more humid to the south. But there's a warm front that's gonna lift northward across southern Minnesota during the day. And a little cold front's gonna interact with that. It kinda comes sweeping across the state later in the afternoon. That's gonna ignite a pretty good band of showers and thunderstorms. Again, this doesn't look like a full-on outbreak, but uh, you know, you're gonna see some hail, some strong winds, and maybe an isolated tornado or two again. And, and it does look like some of the areas hardest hit will get you know one to three inches of rain. And this is just Monday and Monday night, uh, September the 9th, 2019. It's, that's not the total rainfall right. for the other storm systems. And we're also talking a possibility of severe weather on Wednesday the 11th, correct? Yeah, uh, there's gonna be severe weather possible on Wednesday and possibly again on Thursday and then possibly again the next weekend. Uh, I do think Unless something a little unusual happens. I mean, we do have powerful low-pressure systems, and these things can produce real severe weather, including tornadoes. And if the things if things come together, you could actually have even a strong tornado or two. But right now, the clear, sort of undisputed, undeniable threat is from heavy rain. It's it's Severe weather is certainly possible, and we could be looking at a really busy time frame. But since we, that's usually what meteorologists focus on, is some of these storms could be severe. Whereas we know there's going to be heavy rain in Minnesota. And the question is really just exactly how much and exactly who gets hit the hardest. Those are still up in the air a bit. But there's going to be a lot of water on the landscape by the next time we talk. In fact, I think the water will have transformed parts of the landscape by the next time we talk. Wow. It seems like this entire spring, really this entire year, We've been talking about precipitation and a lot of precipitation. Well, that's a, it's a good point. Do you remember when we kind of came out of the dull winter and it turned into a real winter? Do you remember that right, back yes. at the end of January yes, and yep. early February? Mm-hmm. So that, to me, uh, 
there was a period in February where I remember seeing some of the weather models. And I, when I say some of them, I really mean all of them. The global forecast system or the GFS model, the European model or the Euro or the, uh, what is it, the European uh, European Center. So the EC, uh, W or MWF. In any case, that model and also the Canadian model, all the ones that could see out beyond, 10 days or beyond, were showing in February, like, you know, ridiculous two-week accumulations of snow, like 20 inches or 25 inches. And I remember thinking, if this is true, we're gonna we're going from kind of a non-winter to a real winter, and that's very much what happened. Well, I don't want to be alarmist. I'm just saying that the the models, whether it's the Euro model, the Canadian model, or the GFS model, they're showing levels of rainfall that are just as eye-opening as that s snowfall was back in February. So uh, if those models are right, and we should really hope they're not, there's gonna be a lot of water falling on Minnesota. And it's not just this week. It's, this is, we're in a stormy period through basically, basically the entire first half of September. So right in through the 16th, 15th, 16th, uh, and maybe even beyond there a little bit. It's a stormy pattern where you get a big precipitating weather system every one to two days and these are big systems that are capable of dropping a lot of precipitation. Is it unusual for us to have this much storm activity, precipitation, this time of the year? Well, it not, not in recent years it's not unusual. Okay. <laughs> uh, it used to be that September, I, I think we kind of thought of it as the, a little bit of the second coming of severe weather season, where you would get a resurgence as the jet stream starts to dive back to the south you know the, the kind of and get closer to its wintertime mode as the jet stream would pass through us it would work through some of that warm and humid air and every every once in a while you'd see a severe weather outbreak or some heavy rains in September but you know last year we had a deluge in uh, right on September I think it was the 20th and there were something like 27 confirmed tornadoes in southern Minnesota on that same day and a year earlier, there had been pretty heavy rain, nothing blockbuster like that. But 2016, uh, right around the 20th or 21st, we had enormous rainfall, and it has become a little bit more common. So I, I certainly would say, I don't know if it's a if it's a trend or if it's just kind of where we are right now in the normal variations. But um, September has become very active, and it looks like this one is is going to be no exception. It's going to be really active. And it's going to probably challenge any other month we've had this summer in terms of severe weather activity and heavy rainfall. So, well, The last we spoke, Kenny, was Labor Day morning, and you at that time said it might be an interesting day ahead from a weather standpoint, and it certainly lived up I, to that did, expectation. Did I say might? Shame on me. Uh, no, I think you, <laughs> you were probably a little bit more emphatic than that. <laughs> but it, it certainly did turn into a very active day from a weather standpoint. And... Yeah. Uh, I know, Kenny, uh, we saw two tornadoes in uh, Hennepin County, and uh, we saw hail and wind. Yeah, so we had one in Hennepin and one in with the McLeod area. Or okay, Harvard so that would have been, okay, yeah. all right, McLeod but County. The, uh, but yeah, two tornadoes, and you know they were really interesting. Um, the radar now has, well, and, the, and it really it's the radar operator, so this is a real credit to the National Weather Service. You, you're familiar with the term radar-indicated tornado? Yes. 
You know, a lot of tornado warnings come out because the radar operator can identify some features on the radar that strongly indicate that there's a tornado on the ground. And those are the, you've heard the term hook echo. Right. Uh, and really a hook echo is just the signature that you see on the radar reflectivity where the storm takes on kind of a hook shape in the area that's in the vicinity of the tornado. So it's this little appendage that sticks out of the storm and it's kind of hooked, often kind of hooking, pointing towards the east a little bit. And of course that signature goes back prior to Doppler oh, radar. That's day yes. one of radar systems. Yeah, this was basically discovered uh, in the late 1950s as a signature for tornadoes. And then when the Doppler radar started being used, uh, and Doppler of course tracks the velocity of the water droplets or the, the uh, particles in the air, and the, uh, the Doppler radar can give you something called a couplet, where you can see basically uh, droplets that are moving away from the radar and droplets that are moving towards the radar at some distance, uh, really close to each other. So if there's droplets moving away from the radar and other droplets moving towards the radar, you can infer rotation. But that still doesn't tell you that there is a tornado on the ground. Well, there's some new products that are available to forecasters. We don't need to go into all the details, but good forecasters can use these products to diagnose a tornado that is on the ground and is lofting debris into the air. And so we had this rare, it's, it's becoming more common where the, the warning meteorologist can issue a tornado warning and they can call it a radar confirmed tornado. So they see the signature of debris being lofted into the air and that's all they need to know. There's a tornado on the ground, radar has confirmed it. It's as good as observed. And these things have 100% accuracy as far as I've, I do not know of a radar confirmed tornado that has then failed to be confirmed. So they have a very good track record. So the tornado that uh, ended up touching down, it was brief, ended up striking in the St. Bonifacius area in western Hennepin County. I had a track of a few miles. It was rated at EF1. So a weak tornado. Uh, weak, but not the weakest class. And the damage was actually pretty extensive, especially to trees, but there was some structural damage uh, fairly concentrated along this path. Uh, you know, it's one of these things where, again, we're kind of lucky. We're lucky that the tornado was relatively weak, that it wasn't a classic tornado. Uh, the unfortunate, these tornadoes often do come in, under cover of darkness, uh, and this one did. Uh, it, was, it happened after dark, and we're fortunate that it was short-lived, uh, and it did not go through the really heavily populated areas. So, you know, but it was uh, the closest call we've had with the metropolitan tornado in a while. This was inside the Twin Cities area, so kind of big news that way. Uh, in other regards, the, the storms essentially produced heavy rain and some kind of standard issue hail, you know, inch and a half diameter hail. There was some golf ball sized hail up in the Stearns County area and some winds over 60 miles an hour. But it, uh, aside from the tornadoes, uh, didn't really stand out as a severe weather outbreak. But the tornadoes definitely punctuated that evening. We'll talk about another big weather event of the past week. That, of course, was Hurricane Dorian, which oh, yes. devastated oh, yes. Grand Bahama Island. Yeah. I mean, from what we're hearing, just a devastation on an almost unbelievable uh, level, it sounds right. like. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, so the uh, Grand Bahama 
and the um, the was the Abaca Island to the east. Both hit really hard, devastated. I mean, and again, we talked about this on our last podcast, but the the eye of the hurricane really took its time. And one of the interesting uh, things related to that was there was some research released this week from some NOAA scientists showing that uh, tropical cyclones are moving more slowly. They're basically, I think it's 17% slower on average. So it's not every single tropical cyclone. But if a, give a typical hurricane is now 17% slower than it used to be, that means it has 17% more time to either expose the area that it's hitting to sustained hurricane force winds and or drop, you know, hurricane size precipitation amounts. So this is what happened in the Bahamas, unfortunately. It was this incredibly slow-moving hurricane. I had never seen a hurricane drag its feet the way Dorian did at such a high intensity. I mean, it was doing this while it was a Cat 5 and Cat 4 storm. So winds about as strong as you can get in this eye just you know, barely moved over the Bahamas. And that subjected the areas that were getting hit by the eyewall to ferocious winds for a very long time and also to huge storm surges and uh, copious amounts of rain. So the devastation is totally understandable, but it's also hard to imagine. You see the pictures of it and it's, you know, almost unthinkable. Do we know what's behind this trend for hurricanes to move more slowly? Well, the, the, the speculation in the paper, and it's a pretty strong one, is that there's this notion that, you know, the, the temperature balance on the Earth, across the Earth, has changed. And we don't have the, the contrast between the equator and the poles that we used to have because the poles have been warming so fast. And that has a tendency to slow down the jet stream and also the steering winds. And so there's just less wind energy to move weather systems around. So the same phenomena that we've discussed, you know, uh, occasionally here, and we've heard about in the news of, you know, maybe the uh, jet stream becoming more prone to getting stuck to slower moving weather systems to kind of wild, quote, wilder, loopier behavior, uh, that might be translating into the tropics too. That same, the same general mechanism would be slowing down the motion of those systems. I, I mean, you know, it is one study, so it's going to need to be examined further, and there are going to be scientists who want to respond to it, and maybe that general conclusion will be modified in the months and years ahead. But uh, for now, anyway, it's a, it's a pretty good line in the sand to draw, and we can say that established peer-reviewed science has indicated that tropical cyclones are slowing down in response to the climate change. I know we have to be very careful when we make any kind of generalization, but is it safe to say that due to climate change, we're not necessarily seeing an increase in the number of tropical storms, but those that do form are more severe than they may have been historically? Is that a, is that a fair thing to say? So, you know, our record has some discontinuities in it that makes some of those answers a little difficult, but the general consensus across climate science and atmospheric science is that just by raising the temperature of the ocean, you've increased the storehouse of energy to these hurricanes. And so the theory would follow that you should see an increase in some manifestation of tropical cyclone power. And, uh, and that is what we're seeing. So it's not that every storm is stronger than it would have been. It's that we do see 
more of the higher end storms and we also see more storms just dropping more precipitation um, and that's and then there's this other consequence where you know sea level has risen for two reasons one there's more water being dumped into the ocean as ice melts but the the other being that as the oceans warm they expand a little bit and so the level rises and when you have higher sea levels then those storm surges that we hear about which are these giant walls of water that the tropical cyclone or hurricane kicks up as it moves ashore those walls of water wash ashore and they have a that much higher starting point because the sea level's higher so a 20-foot storm surge on top of risen sea levels is more dangerous than a 20-foot storm surge on top of you know previous sea levels so yeah there's a lot there and there there definitely is a link it's just that we can't say that every hurricane has intensified or gone through its life cycle in the way it did because of climate change. It gets too complicated to do that. But there are some there are some general links that we can draw for sure. And uh, it's there aren't really any credible scientists who doubt the the link between uh, more and or stronger hurricanes or really uh, again a, a general increase in total cyclone power uh, over time in relation to warming of the globe. Well, since we're talking about Dorian, we would be remiss to oh, uh, not discuss this item that, of course, uh, oh, took on oh, a political undertone. Oh, yeah. So, wait, you're talking about, well, isn't it good that Alabama didn't get hit? Yeah, <laughs> that's really good what that Alabama I was thinking didn't get about. Hit. Right, right. Yeah. And it all began with a Sharpie. But uh, well, it actually began with a press conference. <laughs> well, that's true, yes, right? yes, a press yes, briefing. yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it, it just kind of went off script. Yep. And, you know, and, and so altered the map a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so we're talking yes. about our president. Who uh, is a uh, trained meteorologist? Oh wait, he's not. Um, so we're talking about our president, and the president also. I mean, the the piece that's really interesting here, Jim, is that the National Weather Service uh, and NOAA—they're both part of the executive branch of the federal government. They—that's all of your civil servants are members of the executive. They work for the executive branch. So. In truth, the president is their boss. It's, but they are also, these departments are deputized, so they have their own bosses, right? They have the, they have the, the, the secretary of, Com the commerce secretary. Right. And then NOAA has its administrator, and the National Weather Service has its administrator, and then each local office has a meteorologist uh, in charge. So the... Uh, so there's a lot that's kind of comes in already pretty loaded up, right? Right. But yeah, the press conference uh, where the president was given the information about the track of the storm and he went off script and said, uh, you know, Alabama might get hit and we really hope Alabama doesn't get hit because it's a good, it's a great place. Right. And sure, it is a great place. And then the, uh, but then what had to happen is as Alabamans, got concerned so the National Weather Service attempted to put out the fire by saying hey wait we're not really involved in this there's no threat of Dorian coming here and so they tried to emphasize that and now you've got this kind of firestorm that, in, that culminates in the president uh, altering the forecast track map to show the potential of the hurricane hitting Alabama. It was a great day for uh, it was a great day for our country. Well, well, just to be clear about this, so we have 
The Commerce Department, under the Commerce Department, is NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Yeah. The National Weather Service, also a part of the Commerce Department. Sure. But does NOAA technically outrank the National Weather Service, or because NOAA yeah. came out and essentially tried to provide cover for President Yeah, Trump. so that's complicated. Generally, the, NOAA is somewhat the administrative arm that governs not just the National Weather Service, but other entities that monitor the atmosphere and the ocean. And uh, including research into some of the Great Lakes. And so there's, uh, so they don't have, so and a lot of the people working at NOAA are former oceanographers or meteorologists who have just become, they've gone the bureaucracy route. Um, but yes, they sit over the National Weather Service. Uh, it, it's sort of in the way, you know, in my other job, in my sort of day job, and I am not at my day job right yes, now. Yes, need to point that out. But in my day job, I work for a, a state climatology office, and the state climatology office is really part of the DNR. So it's kind of like if someone in the state climatology office announced some statistic about you know, the climate, uh, and then the, and then there was an official statement coming from an anonymous DNR <laughs> that negated it. Right. It's kind of similar to that. Right. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it would be probably for the forecaster who made the correction, um, probably a pretty frustrating moment. Well, and let's talk about that. You know, we can joke about it all we want, and of course all the, uh, the Sharpie memes are making their way around the internet, and some of them are pretty amazing, but, you know, on a serious note, so here we have the President of the United States falsely claiming that a hurricane was going to take a different path than the professional trained forecasters said it would, and then the president, when corrected, doubles down, and the Commerce Department, I shouldn't say the Commerce Department itself, but NOAA comes out and says, well, um, actually at one point we thought maybe Alabama was going to be hit. They basically threw the National Weather Service yeah. people under the bus. Right. Well, and, that's... Yeah, and what does that do potentially to the credibility of the National Weather Service when you have the president? Well, I mean, fortunately nobody's like reading NOAA tweets. I well, mean, that's yeah. one piece of it. I mean, nobody re <laughs> really, who is? Who's like, true, who's true, waiting to true. find out what's NOAA? Right. This, you know, enormous bureaucracy going to say. Right. I actually, if you want weather information, you get it from your local office, and of course, some people get it from the media, right? Right. Uh, okay, I think there was a sort of a uh, a teachable moment for everyone here, and it was pretty clear to me that the, the weather service and the president and the media were all kind of talking at cross purposes, and they weren't really having the same conversation. There was room to say, okay, if, if you looked at the old forecasts, one could plausibly extrapolate Alabama. But by the time you made your press conference, that information had changed, and also that wasn't the information that you had just been presented with at your, at your briefing before your press conference. So... I mean, I think there is there's a way to kind of say, oh, yeah, well, we see how you could have made this mistake. Right. I mean, you know, I know it's fun to, to poke fun at someone who kind of makes themselves very public. Yes. And they make, you know, because they expose themselves to a lot of mistakes and a lot of misstatements. And that, that is fun. But there's also, you know, a bigger question that goes beyond the president of, well, 
how is the public, how is anyone really supposed to interpret information about the future that changes all the time? Right. Right? right? Mm-hmm. I mean... Forecasts this is, are very fluid. Isn't this the philosophy that we talked about last yes, week? exactly. The forecast, the, 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 the weather itself doesn't change, but the forecast does. This is actually exactly what we talked about on our last podcast. So the, the information that was feeding into those models... Uh, became, you know, started giving the models different ideas of what was going to happen. And although I can't say that the the president was really just back, I don't know what motivated him to do that, but you couldn't blame a member of the public for seeing, you know, uh, a forecast that had been made on August 26th or August 27th and having that one lock in their memory and not paying as much attention to the the fresher one, right, right, or not being able to keep up with the pace of change of all of those forecasts. So I can kind of dodge the whole thing and talk about who did this and who did that, and say, well, we still have this issue. How's, how does the public supposed to keep up with the notion of the future when the notion is constantly changing? Because I can tell you, we're not going to get it to a point where it doesn't change. We're not going to get to a point where we know the weather a hundred days out, and we therefore. It, it's just the same forecast every day. That that won't happen. We can't do that. Right. And so what we understand about the future is going to change. And how could we have helped maybe the president understand those nuances and also, in so doing, help the rest of America understand it? And then we could have, you know, at least accomplished something productive. Failing that, it was entertaining, right? I mean, exactly. that's all we got out of it. It exactly. was entertaining. Don't use a Sharpie. It's, I believe... Some people did some digging, and you, it's actually illegal to alter <laughs> an official forecast document. I believe you're right about right? that. Right? It's yes. actually illegal. <laughs> so don't do that. Yeah, I, yeah. You know, teachable moment. I like it, it when you teed it up by saying that. Teachable yes, moment. Yes, so, exactly. So where does that leave us, Jim? Well, Kenny, I think it leaves us. Uh, let's take a quick look at the week ahead. Oh, gosh. All right. So Monday, Monday night, storms. Sweeping from southwest to northeast across most of Minnesota. Heavy rain will be possible, although I doubt that we're going to see extensive flooding on Monday and Monday night because this is kind of our first the, our first blast. Uh, then we get a break. Hey, Tuesday looks pretty darn nice. 80-something, so, isn't it, here yeah. in the metro? Go ahead and get yeah. out on Tuesday, especially southern Minnesota. It's going to be nice. Go do it because by Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, it's going to turn and then we've got waves of showers and thunderstorms Wednesday into Thursday for sure. And then possibly really, it's hard to know exactly where the breaks are going to be, but possibly into the weekend also. And it looks just like a stormy period. So I would expect three to four waves of thunderstorms and showers over the next week or so. So through, let's say, the next weekend. And the majority of our listeners will have a new, brand new, easy two to three inches of rain, possibly four to five inches of rain. I mean, some of these forecast models are showing a lot of rainfall. And uh, and if you're going to see pockets of four to five inches of rain, then you might see a little isolated areas getting even more than five inches. So if we see that, we're dealing with, you know, all the problems that come with really heavy rain over a fairly short period. Standing water, ponding water, streams overflowing, some erosion, possible landslides in really susceptible areas, especially the hardest hit areas. 
Uh, and hey, what did you mention? Uh, some pumps will be working. Ah, uh, yes. Better uh, check yours yeah, just to make sure it's uh, working the way it's supposed to. Yeah, sewers are going to get a good workout, too. And if yep. you live near a waterfall, well, hey, it's going to be great waterfall <laughs> viewing time uh, over the next week or so. All right. Well, Kenny, always a pleasure talking with you. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. This is way over our heads. We're recording at the Town Hall in South Minneapolis. Kenny, have a wonderful week. Yeah, you have a wonderful week. Stay dry, everyone, and you know, keep your eyes out for those big storms.